verses 35 to 39. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity, or are persecuted, or hungry, or destitute, or in danger of treatment with death? As the scripture says, for your sake we are killed every day, we are being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today or our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below, indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. May this reading be a blessing to us all as we hear the message based on it. Indeed, thank you. This St. Andrews is God's word. Have you, has anyone ever had a bad, bad week at the office? Yeah. Well, um, last week, I wasn't intended to be on this Sunday. Margaret was going to be on, but um, tragically her dad has passed away, so please do uphold Margaret in your prayers. So I've come on um, somewhat last minute. And then this week I'd been hit with a cold, and I, I'd, had to, I'd been saying to, I'd said to Bex this morning actually, before the service, I said, I think, you know, I was saying people, I said, I think I've been handling my current life situation really well. Not dropped any balls, life's been going great. Been coping with the fatigue, okay. Yeah, been smashing out of the park. I've been pretty good, pretty awesome. And then, um, so on Friday, we had a funeral uh, for Jean Mulligan. And uh, for the first time in 20 years, I drove to the wrong cemetery. Uh, so I was um, um, uh, half an hour late to the cemetery. It's very humbling. I like to get those 101 things, um, rookie mistakes, uh, right. It's entirely, it was entirely my fault. And I thought to myself, I think the cold, the fatigue has, has actually crept, crept up. Or either that or the Lord decided to humble me for me saying that I hadn't dropped any balls. I don't know, but uh, it was a, a rough week. So this morning, Be um, Bex has prayed for me because I am a little bit under the cold and the flu. And I'm trusting that despite the human frailties, the Lord would speak. But without any further ado, let's pray. Gracious Lord, as we come to this final message for this year in Romans, we humbly ask that, Lord, indeed I would decrease with all of the frailties of cold or flu uh, and preparation and so forth, and that you would increase, your word would increase, its power, its, its clarity would increase in our hearts this morning. And so, Lord, we ask that your name would be honoured today in our presence that your name would be lifted high and that the, your word would pierce our hearts afresh, would have a fresh wonder, a fresh insight into your word in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, well done for those that have survived a whole year in Romans. In fact, this has been four years. We're doing six months every year, so it's a four-year series. And we're into finished halfway, so we're now over halfway through the two years. So if you've listened to 75 to 90% of those messages either on YouTube a little bit later or live in person. You've actually done very well. One of the uh, concerns that I have 
about modern contemporary Western Christianity is that often with the busyness of life, people would come to church usually once, twice, many times three times a month. And so the sweep of scripture, uh, particularly if you're doing it, they get a little snippet here, snippet there, but not the whole context. And I think one of the real things, uh, whether you're listening on podcast, uh, uh, on YouTube or live, is to discipline yourself to read a book of the Bible and it doesn't have to be me, I'm not claiming to be the best preacher on the planet here, but it could be a podcast series on a book of the Bible, because you're getting the whole message. One of the dangers is they just pick the favourite verses, a few words there, a few words there, but without that whole sweep, uh, it can be very, very light and superficial. So if you have tuned in for most of it, well done, I trust that the Lord would mightily bless your investment. And we will be kicking back underway in about six months' time next year as we head into autumn. So this morning, we're going to wrapping up this series, and we're looking at this final statement that, that nothing can separate you or me from God's love. Uh, and so Paul says, and he goes on, he talks firstly this, that Christians should expect suffering. For your sake, we're killed every day. We've been slaughtered like sheep. This is very important to know. It has been mentioned in, in chapter 8, but again, Paul is mentioning it here that we need to know that when suffering comes, it's not necessarily a punishment from, from God or that we've done anything wrong. And also it counters, this, this statement counters the so-called prosperity gospel that Christians should experience lifelong earthly blessings. The prosperity gospel at its most radical version would basically say God wants you to be rich. God wants you to partner with him by faith to pursue riches you know, so you can have great life. Or a light version of the prosperity gospel would say, wouldn't say those gross statements, but it would minimize sin and minimize the pain that Christians go through and only talk about how well things will go for you if you follow Jesus. So come and become a member of St. Andrew's Presbyterian Church and your life is going to be awesome. That would sort of be the vibe or the gig. That's not biblical Christianity. You get to see this great saying, for your sake, for Jesus' sake, We've been killed every day. We've been slaughtered like sheep. And remember from last week, 75%, this letter was written in AD 57, AD 64, the great fire of Rome, and Nero ordered the execution of all Christians, the torture and horrendous deaths of all Christians in Rome. So 75% of this congregation, that's a guess from my personal guess, would have faced that reality within seven years of reading that original letter. And so it's, it's important to know. So if you're a biblical Christian who you read your Bible, it's not simple to have wealth. Uh, we're all by global standards quite wealthy. And I also know that Christians, if you follow the biblical principles of the Bible in your life, you may end up doing better on average. Christians live longer. Going to church means you live longer than average. That's research proven. Uh, if you are reading your Bible and following biblical principles, you're likely to be more frugal, less addicted to substances, and have a better life. It's true, but this does not mean that we will avoid suffering. All right? so, in fact, sometimes suffering is promised to us. And Jesus says, all those who wish to live a godly life will suffer persecution. That's in Timothy and so that's the first thing. We should be able to expect suffering. And next, suffering comes multifaceted, and it can be lifelong. Look at the list here. If we have trouble or calamity or persecuted or hungry, destitute, in danger, threatened with, uh, with death, these are the sorts of uh, uh, suffering that we can suffer. Troubles, difficulties come in all sorts of ways upon us. We, we shouldn't be surprised. I shouldn't have been surprised 
that I ended up in the wrong cemetery on Friday. Suffering comes, mishaps happen, balls drop, this is life. Calamities, persecuted, food security issues, physical safety or even death. Now yet this list is not exactly, I have to say, a Western Christianity list. But we're not promised that we're always going to avoid suffering and we do not know what is around the corner. And we, I want to preach the Bible, not Western culture to you. This is the list. Troubles and difficulties. And one of the many facets that comes is this. It can be uh, angels and demons, the spiritual re uh, reality. So I was talking to my mum just uh, yesterday, and she was saying, uh, I was a youth worker up in the Nelson Diocese many years ago, and she was talking to the bishop. Uh, he's from, uh, uh, from Kenya. And when he was a young lad, he was out, um, and this whole mob of these Kenyans, you know, fellow countrymen, compatriots, with machetes came and surrounded him. And he thought he was doomed. They were looking like a violent mob that just wanted to, to kill him. And so the only thing that he could say, to say the only, his mind sort of froze. If you had that sort of stuck in the headlights look, his mind just panicked. And so the only thing that came to his mind was the Lord's Prayer, good faithful Anglican lad that he is. And so he, he started reciting out loud in front of all the Kenyans the Lord's Prayer. Or he said, bizarrely, freakishly, all of them jumped back like this, and then they started attacking each other. And he just walked on through the mist. Now, whether that's bizarre or, or, or whether it was caused because they were all on drugs, because they were crazy, or whether it was something spiritual, I'll let you be the judge. I don't know. I'm not claiming some certainty of knowledge of that. But in the Christian worldview, we believe there are spiritual forces that are out there to steal and destroy. And so one of the terms of suffering can be not just death or life, but angels and demons, the demonic realm. And then it goes on another aspect of suffering is neither affairs for today or worries about tomorrow. Who struggles with anxiety at times? It can be a huge thing for many people's lives. And here, one of the things is not just the physical safety, it's not just persecutional suffering that Christians can have as part of this multifaceted suffering. One of the sufferings that we can experience is anxieties and fears. And I have to say, it's quite annoying. Not only do we have to deal with the stuff that's in front of us, our mind decides to also trot along a whole menu of possible things that could go wrong in my life. You know, it's like when I was rushing late, you know, because I was driving to, to the cemetery, I was late, uh, and then I, 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 stopped, I saw that the road was closed in front of me. I thought, I'm never going to be even later. And then my mind just ha handily then said, what if your tyres just burst right, right now? You know, the things like that. Just, I was like... I really don't want to hear that right now. I don't need that anxiety of my tire going down. But those fears, and who has that sort of random stuff at 3 o'clock in the morning? Things can happen, financial securities. These are the things that can take place. Anxiety is a paralyzing fear of what if uh, comes true, right? The only solution to anxiety is the assurance that everything's going to be okay. But we know in this world, there are no promises that everything is going to be okay. And so anxiety is a reality. All right, so there is the multifaceted suffering. But then comes the promise that nothing in all creation, none of those multifaceted suffering, will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. That's the promise. Not that we won't suffer. Not that we won't have a panic attack or anxiety about our finances. Not that we won't necessarily have a Kenyan mob surround us with machetes or whatever it might be out there. But the promise is that none of what will take place 
will separate us from the love of God. I was pondering this in my, in my office, actually, and I was sort of thinking, going, this sound, I, get, I get a little cynical at times. And I was thinking to God, well, what we do? That you're promising us God love. But how practical is that? If we're suffering, and I'm suffering right now, Lord, how practical is your love? What? So I walked into Bianca's office, and I just sort of, you know, I said, Bianca, I'm going to throw a question to you. I said, how has the love of God, I read the verse, how is, when you've been suffering in your life, what is the practical ways that God's love has been real to you? That's what I asked her. How would you answer that? Just have a think of it for a second in your mind. How has God's love, when you're suffering, been practical to you? Because like, I, was, I was like, I'm suffering right now. How does, how does life go when life's suffering? So I asked Bianca that, and she, quick as a flash, came up with this. She said this. Uh, that when she's been reading God's word, it's been incredibly real to her. Uh, that's been the first thing. So she said that when she's been reading the Bible, there'd be often Bible verses or things that would speak to her. She said that uh, when she was experiencing suffering, often she experienced love from other Christians. Other Christians came in. And as I was pondering, I thought, that's both right. I can remember times when I've been going through suffering, the Bible verses would jump out at me. And I've also experienced the love of other Christians. And then she said also circumstances. She didn't have uh, one as exciting as the, uh, the Bishop of Nelson's exciting uh, story with the Kenyan mob. But she did say that after, when her mum died, her mum loved birds. And she came and she said, Alice, this sounds a bit weird, she said. But when I came home, these, these whole birds came just descending our wild ones. And, I, and a one just flew onto her daughter's hand and just sat there just on, on the day afterwards. And she just felt, I felt this incredible peace of God. I mean, he said, how often does a bird just, you know, not a pet bird, but a, but a bird that's out there just sit on your hand. And she just, it was the bird that mum loved. And she thought, I, I saw the Lord's hand in that. Now to a cynic, that might not mean a lot, but God's love can come out in a variety of small ways. So this week um, I was walking um, um, up to drop in some food to Madison. She, she had the flu who evidently gave it to me. Uh, anyway, and uh, so I was dropping in some food, and uh, as I, I bumped into a young lady of our church who comes to the second service, and she's just been told that her landlord has said that she's got to move and move houses. And of course, in Geraldine, as you know, it is very difficult to get rental properties in here in Geraldine. And so, and she just said, oh, there's hundreds of people queuing up for this house. They're never going to give it to me. And I said, why don't we, I pray for you right now. So there are on Peel Street, uh, just on the, on the of Hewitts, and she's going up for this interview. I said, Lord Jesus, I just pray that you'll be able to offer this house. And I prayed, and, and she went on away, and I kept praying for her. Well, I got the message about an hour later. She, got, she was the one that was chosen for the house. Now, so God's love does come through. Not all the time. Not in a consistent way like always get the house, because every time you pray, that'd be great. But in different ways, we do see God's love come through. And so then also, though, not just as love, no, despite all these things, the overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. Right, so what is this overwhelming victory? Well, it actually is. What does the overwhelming victory look like in the midst of the suffering? It is actually at Math, uh, Romans 8, verse 28. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purposes for them. For God knew his people in advance and he chose them to become like his son. So suffering comes down in our life, and then God promises that his love for us is faithful and constant if we're called according to his purposes and love him, all right? And then what he will do with that suffering is he will turn it for our good. That's the promise. And that he will grow in us Christ's likeness, 
And that no matter how hard that suffering comes in, we will grow to be more like him. And we will also experience uh, the God's faithful love. So we grow more like him and his love is faithful and he'll turn it for good. I want to finish with a story. It's from Margaret Magdalene Jasper. And she's written, uh, she is a lady whom you've probably never heard of in your life. She was born in 1752. And to the best of knowledge, she has no Wikipedia page. There's not a lot known about her except for her diary, which upon her death she gave to John Newton, the famous composer of Amazing Grace, well-known opponent of the slave trade. And he made on her death an edited version of her diary available for Christians to read. Her ordinary life was filled with disappointments, the kind of disappointments history tends to forget. But her story's worth telling. Margaret lived in England, and where she was acquainted with loss. Her dad died when she was two years old. Her only brother died later in a war and was buried in foreign soil. And her mother died at Margaret's 30th year, at which point she writes in her diary she was left an orphan in this perplexing world of sin and sorrow. She had no husband or kids. Margaret really wanted to get married, uh, but back in the 1800s, when you got to the age of 24, I think that's crazy, you were over the, over the hill. I mean, who could believe that? I just like, I was looking at that, it's just weird. But over 24, so back in the day, she was too old to get married, so she was resigned herself to employment as a household servant in an 18th century London home. In her diary, at the time of the decision, she writes, to go out in the capacity of a servant is a constant trial every day. Imagine that, serving a lord every day is a life. For Margaret Jasper, this was another trial with a long line of trials. She had a lot of health issues that were coming on and couldn't be treated. And as a teenager, she'd uh, looked to the world for happiness, but had only found bitterness. But eventually gave her life to the Lord. She had numerous health ailments which could not be treated. No social welfare, she just to keep working as she can. And she said for her that singleness was the drinking the bitter waters of affliction. But against some odds, Margaret was approached by a man engaged to be married in January 1784, at the old age of 31. Margaret Magdalene Jasper became Margaret Magdalene Athens, wife to a Christian man named Frederick, meaning she could now leave the service of the household servant to become a wife and mother, a calling she wholeheartedly embraced. The marriage flourished and soon became a mother to a son, Andrew and Henry, after losing the next child in childbirth. She and Frederick had two more boys, William and George. The final son was born in Margaret's 36th year. What makes this story especially moving is the, exempt, is the way she died. During the, uh, those years, she had what was called consumption. Does anyone know what consumption is today? Tuberculosis. Uh, and so it was completely untreatable, and she'd probably had it for a number of years, and it was just, she was coughing herself to death. And as she was uh, knowing that her health was failing, uh, she writes, and this is the last diary entries of her going through suffering and reflecting on a very common life, but I want to read it to you. March 18th, 1789. It is a general apprehension of my friends that I'm going, if not already gone, into steep decline. The, phys the physicians intimates the same, and a cough, a pain in my side, and a low fever and night sweats abolish me that they judge rightly of my case. So that my sweet baby, she'd just given birth to a child, is ordered to be taken from my breast and given to another woman. This is such a painful stroke for a tender mother to bear, but I trust the Lord will support me under it and influence the heart of the nurse to treat my child with tenderness. But here lies my weakness, of which the enemy is taking advantage. The thoughts of parting my husband and leaving all my dear children without being able to cultivate their tender minds in the paths of the Christian faith. But is not my God able to take care of them without me? Yes, he is. I myself am a monument to his goodness. Why should I disturb him? Oh, he's been good to me in all his character and offices and providences. Courage, my soul. Courage, my soul. May 16th. 
1789, I had the advice of a physician who agrees that with the rest that my disorder is consumption and about the greatest care my life is in danger. Be it so, I, I shall appear in glory with Christ who is my life. I only wish my affections were more weaned from a husband and children. When I see the one who's dear to me, tenderly sympathizing me, weeping over me, afraid to express his apprehension that our, our union must soon be dissolved. This is too much for me to bear. Nothing but God's grace can enable me to stand on this ground at the moment. Then a final entry, June 13th, 1789. I'm still under the care of his physician, but he gives me no hope. Indeed, it would be both cruel and vain to flatter me now, for my own weakness informs me that I'm dying quickly. I bless my God. I can, I can now say that I will be done. I can give up my dear husband and children and every earthly connection into his hands. He will take care of them. My husband's trial is great. I feel more for him than myself. But heaven will make amends. Oh, how I pant and thirst for the happy hour when my father will send his angels to convey my spirit to rest. There remains a rest for the people of God. I know that my Redeemer liveth. O oh, death, where is thy sting? Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. When I walk through the valley, I will fear no evil. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord. I bless God. I have not one fear of concerning dying. That almighty God who so wondrously preserved me to the present moment will not forsake me in the last moments of my life. No, when my flesh and heart fail, he will be my strength and my heart and my portion forever. In a state of peace and confidence in God's future, she died uh, just a couple of days after her 37th birthday, July 28th, 1789. And her husband and young kids had to go on in life. And so what was that overwhelming victory? This is the lady you've never heard of, just a diary. She gave it to John Newton. The only reason we know it is because John Newton actually preserved this diary, uh, which is uh, not, has, there's no Wikipedia page for this lady. She was just a common servant girl in her diaries. But what was that overwhelming victory? It was death over fear. It was death, it was victory over the concerns of losing her family, her life. It, it was the victory was an ability to testify to God's goodness in the midst of suffering. And it was a peace and a joy that comes no matter what comes. And this was the joy and the peace that Paul was talking about that's available to us. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose for them. For God knew his people in advance and he chose them to become like his son. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we do thank you for your word. And we pray that, Lord, that no matter what comes upon us in the weeks and months ahead, that we would trust in you in the midst of even difficulties or suffering, that we would entrust ourselves to you, knowing that your love to us is constant and faithful, and that we would know the overwhelming victory that you give lies in you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.